Welcome to Tesseract Podcast, where we unlock your power to innovate. Hi, my name is Matt, and I'm going to be your host today. Here at Tesseract, our mission is to empower airmen, connect them to resources, and to accelerate change across the logistics enterprise. On today's episode of Tesseract Podcast, we had the opportunity to speak with Major Chip Litchfield, and I was co-hosted by Garrett. We talked to Chip about MyCap Prime. He is the brainchild and the uh, project manager for MyCap Prime. The objective of today's podcast is for you to understand what MyCap Prime is. Some of those key results are going to look like how does MyCap Prime apply to you on the front line? How does MyCap Prime affect aircraft readiness? And what the backstory is of MyCap Prime and how airman innovation is possible. The little the little red light is on. Perfect. Perfect. So I'll I'll make uh, I'll make all the questions like super basic because you are wearing an Oklahoma State sweatshirt right now. Wow. I resemble that remark. <laughs> but that has nothing to do with the Oklahoma State University. <laughs> so uh, for the listeners out there, um I went to OU, Chip went to OSU. Right. Um, Oklahoma State University, not Ohio State University. Right. Um, so <laughs> they have that little T right in front of their OSU. We don't need that modifier because we are the the OSU. So here's the thing: they they claim that they are like the OSU. Like if you say OSU, okay, it's Ohio State University. However, they will always be the first people to say put the in front. Right. So why aren't you TOs? Well, I, I equate that to, like, if a new officer goes into the organization and has to say to his subordinates or ask his subordinates, who's the lieutenant colonel or who's the major or who's the captain? If you have to ask that question, then there's a problem right there. Right? Big problem. If you have to state, we are the OSU, then there's there's a problem there. You're you have you're, you're dealing with some kind of issue. We don't do that at Oklahoma State University. Mm-hmm. You know, we ride for the brand. It is yeah. what it is <laughs> for the brand. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. if uh, OU came calling and wanted to give my children money to go there, I'll be uh, a house divided. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So, Chip, tell us a little bit about yourself, like your background and uh, your. Air- a little bit of your Air Force career? Sure. Uh, I enlisted in the Air Force in 1997. Um, up till that point, it was the only way of life that I had ever known. Uh, both my parents were in the Air Force. I was a command post controller, a 1 Charlie 3. I did that for uh, nine and a half years. Along the way, I met my wife. Before I got out of the Air Force from being enlisted, we had a couple kids. Um, somewhere along the way, I thought it'd be a good idea to become an officer. I had some people reaffirm that that would be a good idea for me. So I separated from the Air Force, uh, made the commute to Oklahoma State from Enid, Oklahoma, where the home of Vance Air Force Base. So I, I commuted back and forth and finished a degree in statistics. And then I commissioned as a logistics readiness officer. My first day on active duty as an officer was uh, January 1st, 2009. I have been doing logistics readiness officer work ever since. Um, you know, this is kind of the standard assignments. I was a flight commander. I was a deputy flight commander. I worked in the aerial port. I was an operations officer in the 635th Supply Chain Operations Wing. 
in the 436 Supply Chain Operations Squadron. I'm uh, in D.C. right now, uh, assigned to the Logistics Readiness Division. Prior to this, I was an Air Force Fellow, an Air Force Strategic Policy Fellow for my, my IDE year. I worked at uh, the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies, and then I closed that fellowship year out um, working in the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy in the Strategy and Force Development Office. Was uh, selected for a command to head out to Davis Moffin Air Force Base, where I'll take uh, command of the uh, Logistics Readiness Squadron there, which is, you know, just a, a brief caveat. If they'll make me a commander, by golly, anybody can be a commander. So if, uh, if I can do it, you can do it. And that's generally what I say about my career. Does that, does that explain it? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Married, uh, my best attribute married to my wife, Desiree. We have four kids now. Ray, who is a, uh, a junior at Oklahoma state doing ROTC wants to become a logistics readiness officer like his dad. And then Annie, who is 16, and then Kale is 12 and Cohen is nine. Yeah. Now that explains all of me. That's awesome. That That's amazing. Um, so let's start the conversation uh, about MyCat Prime. MyCat Prime has always had a focus of increasing aircraft readiness, increasing aircraft availability, you know, maximizing what it is that we we do in the Air Force is, you know, more fixed planes, more often, more flying time, right? And, and realistically, the, the reason for that, and this is something that Garrett and I have talked about at, at, at great length is, you know, um, 2018, I think it was at 2018 at, at AFA, uh, General Goldfein said, hey, we need to grow the Air Force. We're too small. We don't have enough operational squadrons. So if you, if, if that's the mindset, if you carry that mindset that the Air Force isn't big enough to do what is, you know, required by the NDS or will have trouble meeting all the, the requirements of the NDS, then you can't help but walk away from the fact that every single aircraft at every single moment is important. And we need to do everything that we can do to maximize the number of flyable jets sitting on a ramp at any one time, right? So. That's the objective of, of MyCat Prime. That's the, you know, just the overarching strategic objective. But then MyCat Prime can also, you know, some people have looked at it as, well, you're just trying to, you know, maximize your metric over here or take care of this metric over there. No, it's always been maximize the number of, of uh, fly, you know, flyable aircraft. Um, what's a MyCap? Generally speaking, MyCap is... It's an acronym that stands for Mission Impaired Capability Awaiting Parts. In layman's terms, that just means that an airplane is broken and the part to fix it is not immediately available on the base, which means we have to delay the maintenance, which means we don't have that, we don't have that aircraft anymore because it's not flyable. Um, so when we, we have to order that part from a vendor that supplies it specifically from a source of supply like the defense logistics agency or we have to actually go and get it from another base and it has to be transported to the base that needs it so the entirety of that supply requisition we we call that a micap so let's walk through the life of a micap sure from start to finish um who's touching the part what's the time frame look like uh, what what airmen are involved yeah sure so plane flies plane breaks 
hey, we got to do this maintenance. Uh, we can't do that maintenance because the part is not here. Well, that part, you know, the, the need is illuminated by the aircraft maintenance people, uh, the, you know, the aircraft maintainers, and then it goes to the supporting supply troops at the base. They're like, yep, we don't have that here, so we have to put in a requisition to the Air Force supply system. So that, that requisition flows up to the 635th Supply Chain Operations Wing and one of the three weapon system support squadrons. And then the, the my cappers that work at uh, work within the SCOW, the 635th Supply Chain, Supply Chain Operations Wing, they source the part, which means they just go out and they, and they find the part. Where is the part? What makes sense given this specific situation? And then they will, they will send a message to consume that part to get it pulled off the shelf, to get it into a box, to get it into the hands of a carrier, and then sent to the base that needs it. And then it's received at that base and it's delivered to the to the maintainer that, you know, might very well be the guy that ordered it, or the, the gal that ordered it. So along the way, you have maintenance troops and you have local supply troops, so like base level supply troops, and then you have enterprise level supply troops. And you have, uh, transportation troops you know, traffic management office uh, troops that are taking the part and putting it putting it into a box and then they're, they're going to turn custody over to the uh, to the commercial carrier and then the commercial carrier has it for a certain amount of time and then it's delivered once again to a, a, a traffic management troop or a supply troop and they receive that and they input it into the system and said hey we got this part so now we we have custody for it and then it's put on a truck and delivered to or picked up by the maintenance folks that uh, that need the part to consume the part to to fix the hole in the jet. What metrics right now measure my caps, and how can we measure my caps in the future with my cap prime and to optimize the mission of improving aircraft readiness? Right. So realistically, it's. It's a rec it's a supply requisition. It's it's a very important supply requisition. Dare I say that there's not many supply requisitions that more are more important than the one for a part that's grounding a jet. But it's still at the end of the day, it is the time the requisition was opened to the time that the requisition was closed. Um, and however you want to, however you want to to measure that, that's realistically what we're measuring right now. Um, now, just a brief side point. The, an optimal, no, let me correct myself. The ideal state for Air Force supply would be that no aircraft maintenance troop ever has to wait for a jet. Or, excuse me, wait for a part. That's the ideal state. The optimized state is that you minimize the wait that the maintenance troops have to wait for a part, right? So, um, and in so doing, you have, you have metrics to measure how long are we waiting for a part. And that's just MICAP response time. The time that the, the MICAP requisition was open to the time that the MICAP requisition was delivered to the base and input, you know, scan back into the, uh, into the system. And that, that's just it. And then you aggregate all those times, you know, by weapon system, by major command, by, by whatever, by source of supply. And then you have how is this individual thing performing right but then you can bubble that up to say enterprise level all aircraft all sorts of supply all you know all weapon systems this is how you know how long it takes on average to um, satisfy a micap so within that within the micap satisfaction 
kind of process. There are individual segments. Mm-hmm. How long does it take to how long does it take to the six thirty fifth supply chain operations wing to source the part? I make the decision on where the part is going to come from. We can measure that. And then how long does it take the the supporting agency, I the 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 organization that's gonna pull the item off the shelf? How long does it take them to pull that that item off the shelf? How long does it take them once the part is off the shelf to move it over to the traffic management office, the transportation function that is going to package that that piece up? How long does the traffic management office hold it before they get it into the hands of the carrier? How long does the carrier have it? And then once we it's uh, delivered to the base, how long is it? You know, is it sitting on uh, on the receiving end in a warehouse before it's delivered? Uh, to the customer. So all of those individual segments, we have the capability uh, to track right now. And and sometimes we do. So the driving metric would really gen- just be the, the MyCap, re- MyCap response time. Um, so yeah, holistically MyCap response times, but then we can we can drill down into the individual segment performance. And that's realistically what you see out there in industry. So we have metrics right now that, that demonstrate how we're doing. And we can slice and dice those um, quite extensively. We do that now. Um, so for, from, that, from that perspective, we're good. Mm-hmm. But then also, as, as we learn from industry, as we advance and, and come up with our own um, advancements and gains that maybe are not, are not seen in industry, there's, there's room for you know, new metrics. And maybe they're not metrics, maybe they're just, you know, measurements that facilitate metrics, right? One that Garrett and I uh, speak about frequently that he actually taught me about from his time at Amazon was um, what what is now a um, very intuitive measurement is what we call critical pull time. And that is the, that latest threshold that we, at in the supply community and the transportation community, you know, the distribution airmen, this is that latest time threshold where we can get a part off the shelf, get it over to the transporters, and allow the transporters time to get it boxed up and get it labeled and get it into the hands of the carriers, right? So um, so if the SCOW, the 635th Supply Chain Operation Wing, is going to source something, and we conceivably know that the carrier at this base leaves in an hour, are we past that critical pull time? Because is that giving them enough time to reasonably be able to get that uh, get that part into the hands of the carrier? And that's that's an interesting metric that as we have worked through MyCap Prime, we we more formalized. We knew this thing was out there. It's like, are we the way we source MyCap parts? Are we allowing the bases enough time to increase the probability of some next day delivery, some expedited shipping? right? Or are we just saying, well, that part is close. The, the base that needs, the base that we're going to source from is close to the base that needs it. Ergo, we can create speed like that, even though the carrier is already gone for the day. So it's not going to move um, until the next day. But if I go to a base far away and I utilize a standard level of service, they haven't passed their critical pull time because they're two or three time zones away. I have three or four hours to get it into the hands of a carrier. I can achieve, um, you know, the, or increase the probability of next business day delivery. It's all that kind of idea of critical pull time and, and codifying that 
so we can make better sourcing decisions. Um, Garrett, I'm curious as to critical pull time in, in the private sector as measured at Amazon and you know combining what Chip just said with, um, with what you experienced with um, civilian logistics. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm fortunate in that part of my career, I got to go and participate in the EWE program at Amazon Corporate. And for about a month of that time, I was assigned to their global network planning cell, for, for lack of a better term. But I got to see how, in some sense, their TACC or SCAL equivalent uh, moves and keeps track of all the, the products that have to ship, right? And it, it's fair sort of describing the Amazon Prime program every day millions of customers are ordering millions of uh, of whatever they want, whatever they can find, and they're getting it that same day or next day. Uh, in some sense, that's the magic we're trying to create with MyCap Prime. And that, I would call that the Amazon narrative. Every day, there are maintainers at bases whose jets break down. And they say, I can get shower slippers, dog food, um, you know, a Nicolas Cage DVD. I can get that overnighted to me. Why can't I get this MyCap part overnighted to me? And, and in some sense, that happens right now. We we overnight my caps, uh, let's say in great quantities, but it's definitely not our standard. So you know this whole notion of critical pull time, I think that's one of the the great things I got to sort of learn from industry, is uh, in, in some senses they have their version of metrics too, um, but they they tend to focus and emphasize those leading leading metrics and leading indicators of success. So in in a my cap prime world, it would be. Um, us getting that MyCap in the hands of the maintainer overnight. In the Amazon world, it's when a customer buys a dog chew toy, they get it on their doorstep the following night. Amazon focuses on the notion of if a customer in Atlanta orders the dog chew toy at 12 p.m. on uh, on a Monday, uh, you would think that maybe Amazon would want to pull it off of a shelf in North Carolina if it's not in Atlanta. But that's not necessarily the case. You know, sort of the way that Chip was talking about it, their system, and it's very much so automated and there's a lot of data science, but their system would sort of sort through all of their global inventory and might identify something that's maybe in Seattle, that, that same dog chew toy, because by then they still have enough time to uh, pick it off a shelf, put it in a box, pack it in a box, label it, and put it on a plane that can get it to Atlanta to get pulled off a plane, put on a truck, put on another van, and put on a doorstep that you wouldn't have the opportunity to do. So it, it they can still meet the critical pull time in Seattle. They can't meet the critical pull time in, in North Carolina. That's sort of the best way I can see us describing and, and comparing it. But, but that's that metric that they emphasize enterprise-wide. When their leaders ask about performance, they don't just ask about the lagging metric, right? Ours would be my cap response time. In an Amazon world, it would be how many of our prime shipments are getting there on time? You ask that question, but you also ask the leading metric. What's the, what's the metric we should be tracking that would put us in prime, pun intended, position to, to meet the, the metric that we really care about? And in this case, it's critical pull time. I don't know that our Air Force has that. Um, or, and if, if we do, I don't know that it's tracked or emphasized or taught or, or managed or led to the same level of emphasis that you sort of get on Amazon. So I don't know. What did I miss in that? No, I think that was uh, explained really well. Um, and one thing that... Uh, from, from a future state perspective, right? As, as I've talked about my cap prime with people throughout the Air Force is we inevitably go back to what is on the screen, right? So what do I see on a screen when I go to Amazon and I'm going to order something via prime because I'm a prime subscriber? Well, I see 
if I click this button now, I can reasonably expect it to be here tomorrow by noon. Mm-hmm. But if I wait 48 minutes, it's going to cost me another 24 hours, right? All that optimization and data science that they're doing. That's what people are looking for now. Well, it's so personal. It is. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's just, I, I think that's just the, the element of it is, um, it, it is just so, like, the individual needs um like and we have expectations right right so and and that's a that's a to move off the topic of you know what you see on the screen real quick is something that i've i've been talking about with people for for quite a long time now is um at some point in the past whether it was you know five years or ten years or something like that but at some point logistics and supply chain functions became personal personal to the to an individual right when you transition some percentage of your uh, household's procurement to online and you realize that I can get dog food and toilet paper and uh, a backyard smoker delivered to my house the next day. You're like, wow, this can really benefit me. Um, you don't leave that knowledge of how it works in the civilian sector. You don't leave that knowledge at your house on your way to work you're like well this is the government it's no big deal that it takes seven eight nine days or four days or whatever it is for me to get my airplane part no what i've seen in 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 my experience is you carry the you know the the member carries that expectation forward um and it's even more important because well we're trying to generate aircraft like if if they can get me the thing that's a dog you know a dog chew toy why can't we get o-rings or filters or the or the part that i really need to to fix my jet um and that now you know going back to what i was saying about on the screen people make decisions based on that if i order this right now i can get it tomorrow Uh, my personal speaking you know my my ideal state my optimal state for air force supply and something that i would like to see is why don't we do that same thing for you know, for Air Force supply and, and Air Force maintenance. So, yeah, we know the part is not on the base. So this is going to be a MICAP situation because we have to fix that jet. Yeah, I would like to be able to look at the screen and say, if I had to order this part right now, it would come from here. And because it's coming from here, I can reasonably expect that we are going to meet the critical pull time. It'll be in the hands of the carrier with next business day delivery, and it'll arrive tomorrow at kind of the standard time that the commercial carriers deliver to the base, right? Because if you if you draw that draw that out just a little bit, maybe there's an aircraft maintenance officer that's looking at that that because the supply troop that's supporting those uh, aircraft maintenance professionals are going to say, you know, if we order this right now, we can reasonably expect to get it tomorrow. Then that aircraft maintenance officer says, you know what, we're not going to do this can action, so I'm going to save four, six, or eight hours worth of work to take it off of one jet, put it on the other jet, and then I still have to go put it on the jet that I took it off of. Hey, we just, you know, we just maybe dented the, dented the maintenance universe a little bit, at, at least at that base, right? Because of, of a basic visual on the screen that's just demonstrating our, the programmatic logic that we already utilize to source parts right now. Because if we did hit order, it would... Real quick, tell us where that part is coming from. But, you know, we have to, we have to execute that. And maybe 
we don't execute or maybe we do execute, right? Or maybe because of what we're seeing on the screen will drive us to a drive us to a different decision. From a MyCat Prime perspective, there's nothing that is saying that commanders can't do um, anything that we're doing right now. You know, I want to, as a local commander, I want to see parts pulled off the shelf within an hour. I want to see them to TMO immediately or to the traffic management office immediately after they're pulled, right? And if the carrier is already gone for the day, I want to make uh, a reasonable effort to, um, if we can, get those things down to a local processing facility if it's not, you know, an hour and a half or two hours away or something. So we can, we can implement these uh, principles right now. But as with anything that is done on the backs of local commanders, right, you're going to have, you're going to have the, the, the base A's answer and then base B's answer and the base C's answer. So with uniformity of, of objective, you need to have uniformity of approach and uniformity of, of effort, right? So the more that you can say, this is the standard for the Air Force, and this is how we're going to implement it, then, then you're ensuring that you have uniformity across the base or across the bases and across the people that are, that are executing that, um, that task. And then, you know, as much as we can, reduce the requirement for manual actions, I think is the key to success. And we see this in industry. Um, and, and there's a fine line that we have to walk within the, the DOD and specifically the Air Force and then, you know, in the sustainment community. I, and I understand that. But um, as I've read and learned and understand about what's going on in industry, there's, there's a movement away from, you know, manual action. How do you, how do you know how to do this? Well, I have a checklist. Um, and what industry seems to be doing is it's a programmatic response, right? So if, if I have this box and it's got, these ones and zeros attached to the, uh, you know, to the, uh, you know, to the requirement, uh, the, the squeaks and beeps, if you will, as my, as a squadron commander used to say, well, then programmatically, I understand the squeaks and beeps and the ones and zeros, and this is the result that comes out of it. I'm going to do this with this box, not because uh, our airmen aren't capable of recognizing it, because by and large, they do, they do a phenomenal job. It's just because to drive a uniformity of response across the service, we make that a, a programmatic response. Can I add something yeah. on that, Chip? Yeah, so it, it's definitely, and, and I got this from my, my theory of constraints training with our great partners at the Gold Rat Consulting Group. But, you know, if theory of constraints is a management philosophy of focus and flow, and you want to flow what you're focusing on, right, what's most important to you, in some sense, I think Chip talked about this earlier, in that all parts, all requisitions are not created equal. Uh, it, you know, there might be um, identical orders for 10 O-rings, but one might be for a jet that's grounded and one might be for just replenishing the normal inventory at some point somewhere in the world. Our system needs to be able to discriminate between the two. All right, the tie back to Amazon is pull up your phone right now and type in any product. There's a list of products that have a prime sticker on them and there's a list of products that don't. And the ones with the prime sticker have a really high chance of getting delivered in uh, same day or next day because Amazon prioritizes those. In some sense, prime items are Amazon MyCaps. So how could we come up with the same, a similar level of 
you know, strategic unified agreements that um, there is a hierarchy of requisitions. Our 1A MICAP should be, if not at the top, very close to the top of that list. And whenever they get sourced from wherever, they get treated and get moved to the front of the line no different than Amazon treats their prime prime orders, their prime requisitions. And, and that's, that's I think, something that the Air Force is really good at doing. You, you, go, you go to any AMC aerial port, uh, air mobility squadron, w- w- aerial porters and transporters know how to move the most important stuff up front. Transportation priority codes sort of dictate that. There's a lot of planning and emphasis. In our culture, we will hold jets on, on the ramp before we let them take off for an AMC MICAP. So we know how to do this in our culture. I think part of what our challenge is for MICAP Prime is, is finding ways to institutionalize that across not just AMC MICAPs, but maybe all Air Force jet grounding MICAPs. And in a joint sense, any aircraft grounding mm-hmm. MICAP for any service sort of anywhere, those have to be prioritized above some of the other cargo, some of the other requisitions and, and supply points. Um, does that make sense? No, it does. Can, can you talk about the standards though, Chip? Because like you said earlier, the Air Force does really well in a lot of this, right? Our, right. our transportation community is batting well above 90% yes. on evacuating um, requisitions off the ground, off the base within a 24-hour standard. Right. But is that standard good enough to achieve this effect for 1As? You know, supply troops do an amazing job, right? Hero work of picking items off a shelf, uh, you know, pulling their items not pulled out right. of their, their supply system. And, and doing it on a daily basis. But how do we inject that focus to say for 1As, you know, a supply troop should be looking to pull a 1A requisition off within hours, not within days. Same for a transporter. A transporter should be looking to pick up and move a 1A MICAP within hours, not days. Um, can you speak a little bit about how we tighten or maybe elevate the standard so that what we're already doing well, we do even better? Is that a fair representation of what we're trying to do here? I would I would agree with that completely. That we are doing a great job, um, uh, but yeah, it, with anything we can do better. So when, from a MyCap Prime history perspective, we started looking at the math was about what is the aircraft capacity difference between a two day baseline shipping model and a one day baseline shipping model. And then what were the, the cost differences? And um, it was a staggering difference because lots of 24 hours add up to a huge amount of hours. And the price difference was uh, um, no taxpayer dollar is, is not important, right? But it was very, very minor for us to achieve uh, a, a higher um, level of service. So from, from that history, we looked at just codifying a standard level of commercial carrier service. Was that two-day shipping? Is that is that one-day shipping? And somewhere along the way, um, I had a realization with help from uh, many great people, Garrett uh, included, my prior squadron commander and Lieutenant Colonel Dan Hervis, made me realize that with just a minor modification of the equations that we had laid out, you know, basically the math, that you could also model the pick right and pack portion of it too and it was at that point that you realized wow it's not just a standard level of service it's how much time are we losing um, as it relates to getting the package um, the mycap shipment into the hands of the carrier right because the the 
the traffic management office folks will tell you, and they have largely the data to back it up, that we are utilizing this level of service um, quite consistently. Okay, well, if we're utilizing this level of service quite consistent, uh, consistently, why are we still not seeing that average time dipping down into like the 36 hours? We're, we're pushing. Well, then that becomes what Garrett is alluding to, you know, the processing aspect. Um, so hard and fast standards are out there, you know, like the 635th Supply Chain Operations Wing in, in their OI says that they should source within four hours, but rarely ever, rarely ever, the extreme outlier, does it even approach, you know, two hours, much less three hours, much less, you know, four hours, right? So they're usually satisfying a MICAP from a processing and sourcing perspective within 30 minutes, right? And then it, then it goes to, a, you know, the, uh, the base. And the last I looked, there was no, there's no standard for them to pull that off the shelf. Now, once we get it pulled off the shelf, TMO, the Traffic Management Office, um, has a 24-hour TP1, Transportation Priority 1, evacuation from base metric. So they're trying to move that MICAP off the base within 24 hours. And then when we get it at the, at the receipt base, we have to have it in-checked in, back into the supply system with, within four hours. And then that's where the requisition stops. There's no... There's no requirement for how long it should take to get it into the hands of the customer. So if the customers are really waiting for it, they might drive a truck over and get it, and that's really fast. And if they don't really want it, then it might it could sit there for a little bit longer. But like, but the bases have ways to ensure that parts are you know delivered to the customer and, and, and stuff like that. So um, the standards that Garrett were talking about are: is 24 hours good enough for a one alpha? grounding my cap you know there's going to be varying opinions on that um what i will say is if we can get it into the hands of the carrier that same day then we'll always meet the you know the 24 hours so it's it's almost like you talked about new new metrics a little while ago if we have a my cap that meets some certain certain thresholds like we have high probability of getting it into the hands of the carrier because it was sourced at nine o'clock and the, the base pulled it at 10 o'clock and the and the uh the commercial carrier doesn't leave until 1500 then you know for that individual requisition the the 24-hour metric is is not really satisfactory right it should be a is it evacuated from base by the end of the day by the end of that duty day and it could be variable right do we meet critical pull time yes we met critical pull time then a 24-hour evacuation from base would be that's that's not good enough for what we're trying to achieve not that that 24-hour standard is isn't good but remember 20 that is for tp1 cargo uh, at all and we're we're focusing in on a small subset of tp1 cargo specifically parts that are that are grounding jets so yeah new metric standard would be if we have met the critical pull time we have sourced that requisition within critical pull time and it still doesn't make it out then we we should be able to determine why um that didn't happen right because realistically we can we can sub we can segment out performance right but at the end of the day it's still we can't get so focused in on segments that we that we lose the 
the whole of the requisition, right? So there's still value in the whole requisition by the time it was, you know, delivered to the base of me. So in that sense, it sounds like what, what we were sort of pushing with MyCat Prime and, and the Pathfinder that we have is elevated or tightened uh, processing standards right. for the pick, pack, and ship process. Because right. as we sort of look at a, at the full process, um, the sourcing happens fairly quickly, yep. right? Within minutes right. or hours. Um, and remember, the, the caveat, this is for parts that are on a shelf somewhere. Right, right now. So yep. in the pick, pack, and ship, both the first mile and the last mile, if we can tighten the window that we expect our supply and transportation troops um, to get this done, the, the hypothesis would be parts will move faster. And, and uh, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about the proof of principle test we did last summer? And when we tried to do this at a handful of bases with a sort of fielding a MyCap Prime concept of operations and, and elevated ROEs, can you talk about the data that uh, that test showed us what happens when we when you put even just a little bit of emphasis on doing it the mycap prime way sure so la yeah last summer we designed last spring and summer we designed a proof of principle test to to well obviously to test mycap prime principles and that was just you know a concentrated and focused effort to uh move one alpha mycaps with speed and that was sourcing them quickly and pulling them off the shelf quickly. And when we pulled them off the shelf, we didn't, there was no queuing. So we moved them immediately over to the traffic management office. And when they were received at the traffic management office, there was once again, no queuing. They immediately processed the shipment, put it in a box right there, had the shipping label right there. And then it was staged for whenever the commercial carrier uh, departed for the day. And then as a function of the commercial carrier, we utilized standard next business day shipping. Um, we can talk about that uh, later, you know, how we are able to ship parts within the DOD, but we utilize next business day shipping versus second business day or third day or ground. And then when the, the parts were received uh, at the requesting base, we, you know, if it was a MyCap Prime base, that they were, um, they were scanned in quickly and then delivered quickly. So the interesting thing about a MyCap Prime test is, and we, Garrett and Kelsey and, and others answered this question quite frequently, is people would say, do I get MyCap Prime service for my jets that are here? And the proof of principle was the, the nine bases that we chose for the F-16, the KC-135, and the C-5 weapon systems, those bases were providing MyCap Prime service to the enterprise. So when when a, a part was sourced to those bases, those nine bases, they were executing the MyCap Prime principles. And then if they received a part, they tried to apply the exact same principles on, on the receipt end. And if a, if a part was sourced from a MyCap Prime base going to a MyCap Prime base, well, then we just we put it all together to see um, you know what we uh, what we were desiring to see is can we can we create speed with these what were then manual actions right going back to the manual versus um, programmatic actions because we had to we had to work to pull that thing off the shelf which means that some you know some supply troop was having to constantly look for one alpha micap requisitions and then the traffic management troops, because it's not programmatic, had to 
choose next business day delivery. There's nothing on the shipping documents that say, you know, my cap prime. We're not, we're not there yet to, to delineate that. Right. So when the, when they got to the, um, when it got to bases that weren't participating, you hoped it was in their best interest to get that part moved over as quickly as possible, you know, to their maintenance customers. And we close that out and, and we can fix that jet. I like how you mentioned speed and a lot of this has to do with, um, you know, being, you know, being disciplined as a unit to, to get it out the door. And that's a lot like one of our leadership principles, um, having a bias for action, you know, speed plus discipline is deadly. And, uh, I think that's in line with everything that, that we stand for, te- you know, Tesseract and MyCap Prime and, uh, and how we can move together. A lot of things are consistent, but I'm glad you brought that up. Right. So, uh, Garrett and I, when we wrote our, when we wrote our, our documents to guide the proof of the proof of principle test, our ROE document, if we will, we, we hit that uniformity of objective, not lowering the supply rate, not it's aircraft availability, increasing the amount of fixed jets that we have available to us, uh, in the air force. So I have, I have the stats here. Um, and the only thing that you can really say is after the proof of principle test is we validated that we can produce strategic effects on the back of good distribution processes. So holistically across all of our MICAPs, you know, granted we were focusing on the F-16, the KC-135 and the C-5 again, but that didn't mean that a MICAP prime base didn't process an A-10 MICAP, you know, or a 15 MICAP or a T-38 MICAP or something like that. Um, so holistically, during the proof of principle test, the average one alpha MICAP was satisfied in 2.3 days or 55 hours. Now what that number, those numbers represent is that was 18% faster than the enterprise and then 22% faster than fiscal year 19. So, so the proof of principle basis, because they implemented these MICAP prime principles, they went 22% faster than their performance in the year prior. Which equates to what chip in, in hours? Is that what, eight to 10 hours? Is that sort of public rough math? Um, Maybe a half day, a third of a day? Yeah, so on the average, comparing to fiscal year 19 hours, that was 15 hours faster. And then the comparing to the enterprise, that was 11 hours faster. Now, good ideas are like, um, I don't have a good analogy for them, so we'll just say like, like a wildfire. Good ideas are like a wildfire, right? And this goes back to the, there's nothing stopping a local commander from doing this stuff, but um, I've been talking about MyCap Prime for a couple of years now, um, and Garrett was banging the drum for a long time, and I talked to anybody that would listen. So the word is, is starting to get out, and we are moving things faster. And I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I can tell you that when I first got to the SCAL in 2016, um, and the leadership team within the SCAL, um, started with General Hurry, then to General Sanford, and Colonel Henderson, and my group commanders, um, who emphasize you know speed and 
and uniformity of effort. We have seen an increase in the speed that, you know, my caps are closing. So it, it doesn't surprise me that the proof of principle bases were faster, but then also the enterprise was was faster than it than it had been previously. You know, some you know the other good news stories for the F sixteen during this during this time. Remember, three F sixteen bases. Well, they satisfied two hundred and forty micaps, which at two point three days in fifty four hours, and that was twenty one percent faster than the Enterprise, and twenty nine percent faster than fiscal year nineteen. So you go from you go from seventy six hours in fiscal year nineteen down to fifty four hours. That's, I mean, that's a, a day's worth of savings right there. And Which means a maintainer on the ground and a scheduler and a pro super and a crew chief can expect and plan on getting that part yeah. with with relatives with FedEx and UPS level certainty a whole day sooner. Yeah, that's that's the goal. Yeah, which, on the average. Yep. Which would show and prove the hypothesis of distribution generated readiness. Absolutely. Supply troops, transportation troops, focus and flow, saving readiness or generating readiness. Generating a better way to put gener- it. Generating readiness, right? Because if if what the maintainers say is true that we're parts plus eight hours for you know for work. If I can get you the part twenty four hours sooner, then we're getting that jet twenty four hours sooner because the, the the eight hours to do the work is obviously not going to change. So how long you wait for the part is is the long pole in the tent, yeah. right? And, and I think that's part of the beauty of this. You know, in in a future state, it would mean right physical changes. A supply troop can stand up confidently in a in a morning production meeting. Right at zero eight thirty, briefing the MXG commander, and say that the tail that broke, you know, last night or you know this morning, the MyCap's in, but because of a MyCap Prime, it's already been sourced, and we're tracking that it's been picked and packed, and is will be in FedEx hands in two hours. Um, we'll get it by tomorrow at you know fifteen hundred. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and, and I like to, I think to your point that happens a lot already in today's Air absolutely. Force. I think what we're trying to prove here is. That should be the standard. Right. Is that right? Right. So we're doing good work right now. Uh, I think we can do a little bit better. I, I would like to see us do a little bit better. You know, for the marginal MyCap, I would like us to see that this is the standard for the marginal MyCap. Because um, if we can if we can create speed on the, on the back of the marginal MyCap with uniformity of objective and uniformity of effort, that translates into really big things when you see that we have over a hundred thousand one alpha my caps every single year. And yeah. That's a massive amount of hours that that we can save when we look at it from a transportation perspective, standard next business day delivery, and then pulling off the shelf as best we can, which is a phenomenal conversation that I had many times of when I first started talking about standard level of transportation service they would say say well you're not you're not considering the the back order in my caps that or the requisitions that have been open for six months because we have to manufacture and we're waiting for a contract to deliver you're absolutely right um but just because something was open for two weeks or three weeks does that mean that we shouldn't still ship it with you know with next business day shipping in some cases, that would actually necessitate it more. You, yeah. you would almost think. Yeah, absolutely. So because it was back order for a month or six months or something like that, it's okay to put it on ground and, and let that shipment take five to seven days. No, that that doesn't make any sense because now we're just 
or adding hours upon hours to, um, you know, a sizable crooked crooked number percentage of of our Mac apps that do experience some kind of quanti- some quantity of of backorder hours. Yeah, on that point, Chip, it might be worth sort of diving into you know the responsibility of every base's transportation officer and the responsibilities put on them to give you know to provide transportation services at the best value to the government. At the same time, showing how that best value in a pure transportation sense doesn't necessarily capture the sortie generation aspect of, uh, of the, uh, well, let's say of the larger Air Force mission, you know, to sort of fly, fight and win. It, it I think it's, it's probably worth mentioning the, the data point that you've thrown out previously of the marginal increase in shipping costs to do overnight versus three day um, for, you know, a standard, what is it, 10 or 15 pound package. Yeah. And in, in some sense, I think the phrase is something like we're um, stepping over dollars to save pennies, right. because in some sense, it, it's natural for a transportation entity to, to say, I can save X amount of millions of dollars in a year by going three day versus two day or one day. Sure. At the same time, the jets and, and the cost in readiness of them sitting and waiting might far outweigh the, those transportation costs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So this is uh, something that I've had great philosophical discussions with my my transportation partners, Mr. Hamilton down at the uh, uh, Air Force IMSC. Um, we have had uh, a lot of really good conversations on this this topic, you know, right here. Um, and and the question that Garrett just asked is, you know, what is the price difference to to deliver a fifteen pound MyCap twenty four hours sooner? So second business day versus first business day and i've and i've given various mycap prime briefings um many times now and when i asked this question i just opened it up to the floor i did this two days ago and i think the lowest estimate for the cost difference to have a monday 15 pound mycap delivered on tuesday versus wednesday the lowest estimate i got was 300 dollars and you're like, wow, this is a really important shipment, and I'm trying to generate speed, and I know how much it costs. The last time I tried to send something of size overnight, it's it's really expensive. So I'm going to guess that it is also um, really expensive. And that's just that's just not the case. So the price difference for that 15 pound micap to save 24 hours on a shipment is 65 cents. You know, for a 50 pound micap, which is a fairly sizable micap. It's $2.50. And then the maximum allowable air transportable package, 150 pounds, is $6.50. Right? Um, and this gets back to the question that, that I used to ask myself when I was working the 436 Supply Chain Operations Squadron all the time, is why does one MICAP shipment go via this method and, and close out in two days and a similar MICAP go in a different method and close out in five days. Um, now, there's nothing in, in the AFI right now that says this is the standard level of service that we're gonna use when we have to send stuff commercially. The, the DTR, the Defense Travel Regulation, says that we the transportation officers at the base have to use best value principles. Um, and I think the point that Garrett was trying to make was, depending on where you sit, best value has has different meanings, right? Um, and once again, we do a phenomenal job of moving 
parts quickly. But I've seen enough parts that are air transportable go via ground to know that we have maybe small holes, but we have we have some holes that that can that could help we could reduce the size of some of those holes with some uniformity and, and some standards. It's you know, the AFI says if it's air transportable, it should go air transportable or via, you know, commercial air. Because but when you look at a you know, a hundred and fifty pound, a hundred and forty nine pound MICAP that's going from KC-135 base in Florida to KC-135 base in Washington, and that shipment is $440. Well, one, we have to recognize that that's a really good deal given to the, given to the DOD because it would be in the thousands of dollars if, if we were trying to do that ourselves. But then, yeah, granted, it only costs $78, and I'm making up numbers on the spot. Um, it only costs $78 to ship it via by ground, but four hundred dollars gets us there next business day. Four hundred forty dollars, whatever it is, gets us there next business day. Seventy-eight gets it there in six days. Right, so we just lost a jet. We might have saved a couple hundred dollars on a shipment, but we, if it was a single hit, there's only one part keeping that jet down. We just lost that jet, or it drove a can action, or it drove a or can action, else. or something else. A whole bunch of thrash on the maintenance group, which sort of reduces their ability to be right. effective and or efficient. Right. So one of the things that I've always wanted to do as a function of MyCap Prime is define best value for this segment of supply requisitions. Right. So what is the optimization between price and speed? Um, and, and industry makes that decision all the time. We make that decision uh, in, in military services all the time. I want to, I want to apply those same principles to one alpha micaps, right? So just for example, there's three levels of commercial air service that we can that we can utilize for next business day. One that gets it there first thing in the morning, like eight thirty in the morning, one that gets it there about ten thirty in the morning, and then one by close of business. So we'll say you know sixteen hundred. Well I'm I can tell you I've looked at the numbers. The price difference to get it there at nine o'clock in the morning is significantly greater. Orders of magnitude more than it is to get it there two hours later, you know, by ten thirty or eleven o'clock, and significantly more than it is to to get there by sixteen hundred. But we run into a unique hole, a unique um, situation is that most commercial carriers deliver one time a day to a base, and the you know my transportation subject matter experts were were keen on telling me. They deliver one time a day. Why? Because they have to go through security and it's a long line and they're not going to make multiple trips because if they're delivering one package, they have to go through that line. If they're delivering an entire box truck full, they're going to go through that line, right? So what that looks like from a practical standpoint is these commercial carriers come one time a day. So why would we ever pay orders of magnitude more to have a part delivered at 0900 if we know intuitively it's not going to get here until 11 o'clock because that's what time the, the UPS driver comes. You know. And or in another sense, um, if we need it by 0900, we, and I think that's we in, in a, a royal sense of that LRS or that APS or AMS, probably need to develop that relationship with the commercial carrier that if the government's paying to have it by 0900, the, you know, whoever's running that UPS or FedEx probably shouldn't default into, well, we'll get it to them at three anyways. Like, right. how do you develop that relationship to have that truck get to the base by the delivery time that the government paid for? Or 
we send a we send a transportation troop to run to that FedEx at UPS, be there when it hits the ground, bring it back to base sooner. Because again, that's ours, right? Like I I think um, in a normal steady state, waiting till sixteen hundred is probably fine. If we're generating uh, as either an exercise or trying to get out of town, or as a worldwide you know SAM type mission, hours matter. Hours matter. You know, minutes, minutes, matter. minutes matter. And and it's I don't know. It sort of dawns on me, Chip, like that. What you're talking about is we have a high level of certainty that UPS, FedEx, DHL, Amazon, even USPS, in some sense, they they're really good at what they do in moving, especially in the CONUS, right from from corner to corner. We are benefiting from their capacity, their expertise, um, the the high variability in that we don't have standards, high standards for our internal pick pack and ship is is really a, a, a lot of the winning here so if i if i can put the two pieces together sort of what you're advocating for is my cap prime 1a my caps should be standardized to overnight delivery to leverage the next generation delivery service contract yes that's one element but the other element is high standards elevated standards of our internal pick pack and ship when you combine those two together that's when we really see yeah, results. You, you, yeah, you generate a prime level of service. You're, you're absolutely correct. And the, the, the transportation officers at, at the base, the ones that I've worked with, you know, they have those relationships um, to be able to go to their, to their FedEx or UPS or whomever reps and say, hey, this tracking number is coming in. It's scheduled for 0900 delivery. We, we paid to have this delivered by zero nine we really need this at zero nine hundred so how do i facilitate that because once again you get back into you know the optimization the contract says it's a door-to-door delivery right but then local commanders commanding locally understand that okay nothing is preventing me from going and, and picking up this part because the the mission necessitates that situation right now so um, yeah, so I, I think that fair point, is, and once again, it brings it back into focus what our what our objective is and how important sortie generation is on an Air Force base. Right. If uh, you know, if I were in a maintenance group, I wouldn't be surprised on some days to potentially question why that hero work that we that we see on a daily basis isn't standard. It's like you know, the, I think every day supply troops and transportation troops do the the hero work, like you said, sort of on a, on a marginal basis. Um, and it might feel like we're doing it every day, but I think in some sense, we're not just doing it to the point that it's standard. And, and that's what we're fighting for here to make it standard to the point that we internally have high expectations and want to deliver that hero work every day. Right. So, yeah, a, a goal of my cap prime would would not for it to be some special program. That's right. It's just it's the way you do it. It's the way we do it. The way right. the way at Amazon. The, yeah, you, you, if it's a prime order, we just do it the same day or next day. Right, and and I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of validity in the airman that says to his distribution peer, "Well, Amazon can get me my stuff in a day or four hours or or whatever it is, or you know, two days. Two days shipping it seems like an eon ago, right? Yep. But that was it. Amazon can get it to me in two days. Um, and wow, Amazon doesn't stock fifty year old airplane parts. If it's not on Amazon's shelf, you're not going to get it in four hours. If they have to go to their vendor to get it, then it's not going to take that time. But if it is on the shelf and you do, you are a prime subscriber and you've paid your, your subscription fee, you're going to get that level of service 
not because you requested it, because that's just the level of service. That's where I'm trying to get with, with MyCat Prime is these are the requisitions that are most important to us. And we want this done when, when, we, uh, when we submit that requisition into the system. And then also because I can interact with the system, it can right. help me make decisions because I, I have a reasonable expectation that, that this is how it's going to yeah, so in the same sense that an Amazon customer can pick up their phone right now and say, I want X. Uh, Amazon will offer it to them in a prime level of service if they have it on a shelf. That's what we're trying to recreate with MyCat Prime. If it's on a shelf somewhere, and specifically for our Pathfinder, if it's on a shelf in the CONUS, in the CONUS. and we can laterally source it, that, that we should be able to just make it standard that we do it that way in the Air Force too. Right. And uh, you know, I, I, think I, I think it's worth sort of repeating and, and classifying here. And, and remember this... I'm, I'm an LRO who's never actually worked base level supply. So it, it, this is not intuitive to me in the sense that I've worked with airmen doing this every day. But that on the shelf versus off the shelf distinction is really important because my cat prime is, is the on the shelf portion. The off the shelf is the, the hero work that the supply chain management wing and the oh, SCOW and AF material command and the program offices and the depots, they're, they're solving that portion of it in separate conversations. Right. This part of the conversation is if it's on a shelf somewhere, especially in the CONUS, there's no reason why a 1A should take longer than overnight um, or maybe two days. Or two days, right, yeah. because you don't know when the requisition is going to hit the yeah. system. Yeah, so a Monday MyCap might be easier to fulfill if it pops at 9 a.m. than a Thursday MyCap cross-country or a Friday afternoon MyCap. But, but in some sense, I think um, to, sort of to that point, if, uh, if it's on the shelf, if, if it's on the shelf and if a base puts it into their procedures that I should be checking, be on the lookout in that items not pulled for one A's to be popping up, not once a day, you know, maybe before I leave, but maybe every hour or before lunch, right after lunch. That's kind of those physical changes we need to happen on a daily basis from right. the supply troops. And then from the transportation troops, it's um, a relationship with the supply troops of, if you have a one A coming to me, let me know. Cause I'll move it to the front of the line. Sure. And I won't necessarily batch process the packing and sure. the shipping. I'll move it right to the front and get it done by the critical pool time. Right. Um, yeah, so within the supply chain operations wing right now, there are some phenomenal efforts, you know, being worked. Um, you know, I'll just talk about a couple. One of them is um, utilizing the sourcing logic that's embedded in within our system right now and, and adding a layer that says, at this time, the, the carrier departs. So if I back up an, an hour, then we, we have a critical pull time, right? So should the sourcing logic first source to a base where the critical pull time has, has already passed? Or is it worth adding a layer of logic that says, I'm, I'm going to bypass that one in favor of trying to find something within the CONUS right now that has not yet passed this critical pull time so I can increase the you know the probability of of next business day delivery right that's something that airmen have been talking about within the scow you know for for quite a long time another good effort coming out of the scow right now is as it relates to mycap prime is when we're trying to drive a mycap prime level of service let the shipping documents you know say that you know, you get a you get a box from Amazon and it's prime. It says it says prime. So let the shipping documents say 
MyCap Prime on those, you know, Prime level service. So I am not uh, deciphering, you know, the the required delivery date or the um, urgency justification code. If you, I'm I'm making it plain for for people to uh, for people to understand. So, yes, right now there is uh, an effort um, within the Air Force to talk about um, aircraft health. You know, it's a, you know, we're trying to look at metrics slightly differently, right? Um, so if we do have to deploy at a moment's notice, we can take the 10 most healthy jets and um, quickly describe healthy is I don't have scheduled maintenance on there. There's not something that I have to do via the, the schedule. Now, aircraft break, um, routinely and it's and it's unexpected and, and we just have to fix it but you know from an aircraft health perspective if i have to go if i have to fight tonight i would like to take the jets that require the least amount of scheduled maintenance so i have the most amount of time right if we don't have standards for how we pull things and how we ship things we are reducing you know in, intuitively we are we are going to reduce the amount of healthy jets that we have at at any one time, right? Because if we have to if we have to fight tomorrow, and we have to fight two days from now, or you know the the jets at this base are are leaving in two days, then I can if I have a, a MyCap Prime level of service, I can reasonably expect that the parts on order are going to arrive. I can fix that jet, and then it's one of my most healthy. Whereas if it's um, you know, haphazard. I'm not going to say haphazard. Don't don't air that. If it's uh, if it's uncertain, right? If the the value or the definition of best value varies, and somebody elects to use third day shipping or or something, or doesn't pull it off the shelf, or doesn't you know meet the critical pull time when that requisition could have been, then it, it very well could translate into the that a jet that can be reasonably expected to be the most healthy as soon as this maintenance action is done might not deploy or we're going to burn uh, manpower and time to can off of another jet which takes manpower away from you know doing something else yeah so on that point chip could you talk a little bit about um, sdt explain the concept um yeah it, it's a line of budgeting that accounts for how we pay to ship parts all over the Air Force, parts and equipment, I imagine. Uh, I think one of the, as part of the hypothesis in the initial discussion was if we were going to laterally overnight things, it would maybe sort of put the SDT budget at risk or maybe even bankrupt it because, you know, it, it, it's, like a, it's like a checking account. It's got a certain amount in it and we can't go above that amount. In the proof of principle that you saw, even though it was, you know, on, on orders of magnitude smaller than the full amount of shipping the Air Force does, in that population of 500 data points or so, did the SDT sort of break the bank? Do we have that as a, as a major concern going forward as we scale to the next weapon system sort of all the way across the CONUS? Yeah, again, with the assumption that every dollar of taxpayer um, dollars, that's, that didn't sound right, but you know, all taxpayer dollars are important. Um, no. It, this methodology, MyCap Prime, doesn't represent a significant cost increase, right? Because the marginal MyCap, 150 pounds, is only $6.50 more than 
you know the two-day option and granted it gets the, the gap gets wider as you relate it to third day shipping and 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 ground but the the initial math compared and contrasted two-day shipping versus one day shipping you know um, second business day versus first business day and during our proof of principle test the average my cap was only like 27 pounds and I don't know that off the top of my head, but it's somewhere between 65 cents and $2.50. So we'll just call it a buck and a quarter. So if every single MyCap went, you know, at a, at a buck and a quarter more, we're talking 600 bucks and just made up math on the spot, right? To do 500 MyCaps. But as the transportation folks will already tell you, we're already doing that significantly we're already utilizing that next business day um, service quite extensively because we've been talking about this and it's and it's important so establishing that standard level of service as it relates to second destination transportation is is not marginal. it's not negligible it's just not a a large sum of money right because it's called second destination transportation because it's the second destination right we've ordered that part and we paid to have a ship to its first destination. Yeah, to the first destination. And now I have to ship it again. So the money conversation always comes down to, well, we're going to increase second destination transportation. Yes. But if we order it from the source of supply, I still have to pay shipping. It's not like if I just order it from the source of supply, I'm not going to pay shipping. It's just a different pot of you know different pot of money and we have a a, a defined amount in in second destination transportation I've, I've answered this question before is to see a dramatic increase in second destination transportation we would have to fundamentally change how we go about sourcing our mycaps and we would have to see the significant percentage that go to the sources of supply that go directly to the vendors that go directly to boeing go now to the basis right so whereas it used to be that we would order this percentage of parts directly from the the vendors the source of supply the air force depots now we're going to go as a business model we're going to go towards a a lateral movement well what that does is it just consumes more parts at the base level moving parts around the enterprise right so we're pulling less from the source of supply we're moving more at the base which means we need to have more at the base level there's trade-offs in in any one of those scenarios but to answer the specific question from the proof of principle test, negligible under a thousand dollars is the easiest way to codify how much additional we spent, and that's on the back of the already good work that the transportation officers uh, and at the base level are already doing, ensuring that those shipments are sent with that standard level of service. I think what differentiates MyCap Prime from the far better ideas that are out there is I presented with data i presented with a, a you know a finished simulation i you know i presented with cost i presented with x y and z to help round out the narrative right that's the hardest thing that's where good ideas go to die is being able to prove uh efficacy um and i feel fortunate that i was in the position because i was in the sustainment world to say um this is what you know expedited processing can yield us now it's intuitive to say that faster processing would mean more close my cap sooner. Yeah, that's 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 logic, right? If I ship something faster, I can I can 
walk away with two assumptions right there. It's going to cost me more money, but I'm going to get my stuff there faster. Right? That's, mm-hmm. that's not rocket surgery. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, when budgets are tight and, and the general berries of the world and the general hurries of the world um, and the general Coles and the Mr. Yeshivas are trying to squeeze the most gain out of every single dollar, you have to come well-equipped with an idea that's going to drive an increase in cost mm-hmm. because it has to so prove that the benefit of the marginal dollar increase is so worthwhile because we're already operating under budget that that means that that's going to create a hole in a budget someplace else that's going to that's not going to fund another worthy idea someplace else mm-hmm. what our first strategic mentor for my cap run was general sanford and uh he would he would ask us all the time he's like hey hey colonel hervis in the 436 um hey colonel campbell in the in the 439th um can we do this well sure boss you want us to take all the parts from over there and put them over there yeah we can do that we can we can do that and uh you know his his job was to can we produce the result he's being asked can we produce the result yeah we can um we can produce the result for you and then i remember first briefing my cap prime it was okay what how much was this going to cost us because that was you know again that's that's really important so i've always tried to position my cap prime to include in in the narrative at what cost so if we do this what is the cost if we take from over here what is the cost if we ship faster what is the cost if we ship slower what is the cost well we save money but we lose operational efficacy um and i and i really learned that from the the cost piece what is the trade-off what is the decision space um uh you know from the first people the first senior leaders uh general sanford uh colonel chang uh, lieutenant colonel dan hervis you know as we were figuring out what my cap prime was, which back then it didn't really have a name. It was just, we should ship stuff faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, that's good stuff. I mean, and looking at it from, um, from that lens is just so important um, in, in ba- you know, balancing those costs and balancing the resilience of the everyday life of airmen um, to uh, airmen that need that air power mm-hmm. on the front line. Um, and, and winning at home and in the battle space is, I mean, it's, it's priceless sure. at that point. It's priceless. Sure. Uh, you know, f- moments with your family are priceless. Priceless. That's, that's uh, a cost. The, the life of a soldier, sailor, airman, Marine is priceless. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, just spending a few more cents per my cap can, can change right. so many different lives in right. so many different ways. Yeah. And, and then that's- not to get like. I mean that that sounds like really like intimate, but no, at the end of the day, it is. It's true. So, yeah. but sometimes my cap prime doesn't cost us anything. It just costs us doing this now versus later, mm-hmm. and uh, tearing down an internal barrier to to speed. You know, it says some arbitrary threshold that says I'm not going to process cargo after this time, but I only have one box, and it'll take you two minutes to do it. And you know, it's that stuff that doesn't cost us anything. That's just better execution. Mm-hmm. So it's not always dollars, right? It's let's just do this a little bit more uh, efficiently. Mm-hmm. 
F16, C5, KC-135, three platforms right now that we're working with. We can sustain air power with the KC-135. You have one more 135 in the sky. That's another jet that can remain on station. That's that F-16 that can stay on station, that extra one that we were able to generate. And we're not leaving uh, battlefield airmen, uh, soldiers and Marines and sailors on the front, you know, on the front line trying to call in air support, that JTAC that really needs that extra F-16. Um, we're not leaving them out to dry because MyCat Prime was able to generate another aircraft in the sky. And they're able to get those supplies by that extra C-5 that was able to, you know, be generated um, because if there wasn't, um, you know, if we didn't have that C-5, three C-17s would have had to pick up the weight of that C-5, um, straining uh, other elements of, of the supply system. I, I'd like to think that that is the ultimate goal. Yeah, absolutely. That's, I mean, I would love to be able to say that MyCat Prime has impacted the Air Force in such a way that because the marginal MyCap was shipped with the standard level of service, it got there before it would have normally without a, a standard level of service, and that was the key thing to generate a sortie that that did something. If if that's true, if that's the case, I mean that's a that's a rack that you can hang your hat on right there. Um, but at the same time, uh, I consider it a success that maybe a maintenance unit doesn't have to generate another jet uh, to carry as a spare for the next day because. The other one was fixed 24 or 48 or 36 hours or whatever it is, hours faster, which reduced uh, the workload upon our um, maintenance brethren. So uh, I like to, I tell the story, um, I convey the story. My squadron commander, Colonel Hervis, I've, I've mentioned previously, was a prior maintenance troop. So when he came into the 436 Supply Chain Operations Squadron, not that we didn't have good commanders before because we did, but it, it resonated a little bit differently when he took command. He, he would stand up there and say, hey, listen, I am a prior maintenance troop. And right now, there are maintenance troops that are out there on flight lines that are frying in the sun or freezing in the cold or are in their 12th hour of good temperatures or whatever it is. And they are waiting on the fruit of your work. So... We're going to work as hard as our, our maintenance counterparts right now who are not sitting in a consistent, you know, 70 degrees year-round, right? Who don't, who miss meals, just rack up miss meals. You're, you're, if you're working in our school, you're not going to miss a meal, right? And I like that mindset that he approached, and, and I've carried that mindset um, since since working for him, as, as specifically, especially as it relates to uh, my cap prime, mm -hmm. I was a strategic policy fellow working at the Mitchell Institute for Aerospace Studies, and was working on my cap prime. So my cap prime really went dormant after I left the SCOW. and then I uh, I get selected for the strategic policy fellowship, and therein there's a paper requirement. You just got to write on something. And I'm like, well, this has never gone anywhere, right? Not for want of effort or want of desire or quality of idea by any stretch of the imagination. It's just people just go on to new assignments and it doesn't get picked up, right? 
So I'm like, all right, I'm going to pull this thing out because I've already, I already have the math. I know where to get the data so I can refresh it. And it makes a good paper because operators are passionate about aircraft. Maintainers are passionate about aircraft. Logisticians are passionate about aircraft. Um, so it makes a good point or it makes a good paper. So I get new data. I start updating everything. I start, you know, I, I've had a separation from the paper and I, and I look back on it. I'm like, man, I could update this and this is really good. And I, this is really bad. And I need to, you know, to update it. And then, uh, I get to the point where I'm going to do a presentation to retired, uh, Lieutenant General Deptula, who's the Dean of the Mitchell Institute. And, um, I'm taking this tack with the uh, with how I'm gonna present this information to him. So I lay out some basic slides. We're a it was largely a you know a um, a peer type relationship, but you know don't get me wrong. I mean it's a think tank, so you're working together. But we, well, like we weren't we weren't peers. We weren't at best uh, junior colleague to to senior colleague or something like that, right? Um, he was still a retired general officer, and I was a, a major. So um, I lay out this briefing uh, and, and I'm showing them the math and the methodology and, and everything like that. And then I, I start to give it, I start to give him the, uh, the presentation and he's, you can tell from his countenance, he's like, all right, so, so what, what are you, what are you talking about? And, uh, and he finally, he's like, all right, man, what is what does this mean to me? What does this mean? And and finally I said, all right, sir, well, this is what this means to you. There's 8,760 hours in a year. So if I can do this and save 8,760 hours, I have created in aggregate hours one jet. And the cost of doing that is about $1,200 in additional shipping costs. So if we can execute this, we stand, you know, establish a standard level of transportation service for just a small percentage of my caps. And we and we save 8,760 hours. You just bought an F-16 or a KC-135 or a C-5. And, and then I said, and what the simulation shows is, you know, for $100,000 in shipping costs across these three weapon systems right here, we raised aircraft availability, you know, 3.3% or 2.1% or 1.1% for negligible dollars. Like we shipped MICAP parts during our proof of principle tests that cost more than what we would spend, orders of magnitude more than what we spent in additional shipping costs, right? So it was putting it into a language that not distribution squeaks and beeps, not distribution ones and zeros in a language that other people understand and other people resonated. And it was at that point that I, that I kind of codified for at least myself, I know other people use this language. I'm not, uh, I don't have a hubris that someone hasn't said, you know, an aircraft equivalent or something like that. But I stopped talking about hours, 70, 80,000 S hours or aircraft availability hours or something like that. And I started saying, this is 7.6 aircraft equivalents in hours. So you're saying the simulation says if we establish this baseline, this is the difference between levels of service. Yes, it's. 20 aircraft equivalents in aggregate hours and then their eyes get real big because 8,760 hours is well, well that's just a lot of hours but an aircraft is is a tangible thing that that people um 
can can see and appreciate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so as you talk about what MyCap Prime means to people, um, one thing that I've always tried to uh, convey to folks is if we can get you your part sooner, maybe it's a less missed t-ball games and less missed gym sessions and less you know saturday you know sessions and 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 stuff like that Mm -hmm. because there's more predictability and there's more speed in the way that the parts are delivering and because we have predictability and because we have speed then we can make some different management decisions that maybe eliminate some of the can work or additional maintenance work that that is required because we have variability um in the in the system right Mm -hmm. So, I mean, variability, as, you know, Garrett would say, um, the, the theory of constraints class would say, as, you know, um, it's outlined in the book, the goal, as every professor that I had when I was getting my master's, master's degree would say that, you know, variability is the enemy, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, if, in as much as we can, we need to reduce variability. That way, we can say to a maintenance customer, hey, you're going to get every part in four days. Well, you know, we can't make that. We can't make that statement, right? That's a hard statement because some parts are backwarded and some are outsized and they have to go by ground. And, and so there's always going to be some amount of variability in the system. But if you can, if you can squeeze out variability, at least, at least then you have predictability from a maintenance customer perspective. Mm-hmm. And then if maintenance customers have... Um, predictability then ops has predictability and then you know it benefits everybody right Mm -hmm. but then also if you have the ability to create speed which we do then create speed and the reduction of variability right because two-day shipping is faster than three-day shipping and three-day shipping is faster than ground shipping in most in most situations so next business day delivery with a with an optimized cost model produces speed and the reduction of variability because I know that all my parts that I send are going to be sent with this level of service right here. And which gets back to the, all the other things that we have talked about in the past is if I have that, then I can maybe make some different decisions, which hopefully, if we're doing it correctly, are visible both at the strategic level because now we have more aircraft, but then also at the very tactical airman level because maybe that guy is going to have dinner warm tonight versus a plate being on the table, you know, cooling down because he's, because he's late. So that's the, that's kind of the way that I, that I approach this is there's strategic benefit. Yes. You, we're not going to have good ideas in the air force anymore. Um, for whatever reason that don't quickly have strategic, uh, impact, right? Those are the ones that we need right now, especially, you know, according to the chief and, and his idea, um, and what he's mandated of his, of his service, uh, but they also have to they also have to resonate at the at the very airmen at the very tactical level because for a good idea to take hold you need that tactical airman to own that idea and like this is this is mine mm-hmm. so so the guy that or the gal that is is trying to push the idea will just say my cap my cap prime i'm not selling anymore mm-hmm. right i don't need to sell the idea anymore because people are buying it mm-hmm. right and once people start buying the idea they're like and it's applicable to them, and the message is set up in a certain way as to this is applicable to me, and your messaging resonates with me, then I've made it my own. Then it's a, we, we get into that federated advocacy type situation where 
we're all working together to make this thing a reality, right? Because uh, faster shipping means more aircraft. Um, but then MyCap Prime also might mean that we, from a workflow perspective, uh, that we might get the people that we legitimately need to work in the warehouse right now. We, we have validated that we need more people. Now you get more people. So MyCap Prime is a, is, a, is a workforce leveling type thing that we get. Mm-hmm. So I've made it my own in that regard. And then the airman might just be like, I'm going to get off on time today. And I'm really, really good with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how I'm focusing and, and trying to approach um, my cap prime because you can't disconnect. You can't disconnect the, the strategic from the tactical because that's where, you know, kind of ideas go to die. Mm-hmm. And um, this operational level of, you know, connecting the two and, and being able to, uh, describe the benefits from, you know, top to bottom, you know, whether you can go home on time, right? Sure. And then translating that to, you know, those 8,000 hours, however many thousands of hours per aircraft. Um, curious, that conversation that you had with that uh, retired GO, was that before or after you met with uh, Brigadier General Linda Hurry? Um, that was before. Uh, and, it's, and it's interesting because the other part of the conversation, and this was the mentorship part, right? So I was an Air Force fellow. I was supposed to be in an academic environment, right? Where you, and I, I said this to him and he, and he got a chuckle out of it. But um, so I said to General Detula, I was like, you know, sir, I really appreciate the, the fact that we had an academic environment but then you also, which afforded me the opportunity to make mistakes. Um, but then you also, you kind of, you, you taught me uh, some stuff because, and he remembered the briefing quite well. And he didn't even say anything, you know, he's like, that's good. It's, I'm glad you're doing this. I, I support this. I, I want to see more of, of this type of stuff. But his takeaway for me was, man, if you're briefing the three-star level on something, I have to assume that the math and the squeaks and beeps and the equations are good. I don't have time for that. And I heard you went to some of the smartest people, including this gentleman, the the smartest people in the Air Force about this. This has been, yeah, this has been hacked. Um, Smart analysts who check the equations and transporters who's like, yeah, there's levels of service, yeah, and it flows through on the equations. And then the guys who do weapon system support that say, yeah, this is – realistically what our single hit rate is and then when we have multiple micap situations this is how many it usually encompasses which is you know if you're talking about the c5 and the f16 those those four numbers are are going to be different from each other so yes it was it was thoroughly it was thoroughly vetted and gonculated on and um and gonculated i like that like that <laughs> that's what, but that's what general detula said he's like listen man you're briefing the three star or the four star level or something like that I trust your math is good because I know that somewhere along the way, somebody has somebody has validated your calculations and that we actually have access to this, um, you know, this level of service or this contract or something like that. So when you're briefing me, give me a very quick rundown and, 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 and tell me how this applies to me. So fast forwarding to when I, um, I was actually walking back from the Mitchell Institute walking from the Mitchell Institute, going to the metro, the Roslyn Metro Station uh, to go home for the night. And uh, General Hurry was, uh, was, was giving a brief talk to 
the Mitchell Institute folks about what's going on in the sustainment enterprise, right? And um, it was a great talk. Learned a lot. They learned a lot. Had a lot of questions. And then there was a, hey, let's, you know, let's do this again. But I was walking back and I caught up to Garrett and we struck up a conversation. Garrett had known about MyCat Prime for, for quite a long time. But we struck up a conversation and he kind of introduced the topic to General Hurry. And then I, I had a platform. And I remember I didn't talk about the math. You know, my presentation was the level of service, which we don't have codified right now for how we send, you know, for how we send parts. There, are there standard business practices out there? Yeah. And do we do it? Most of the time, yes. But it's not, you know, this is how we send. This is our definition of best value. That um, was not out there. I talked about the difference between two-day shipping and one-day shipping is X amount of F-16s and X amount of KC-135s. You mean we can, if we send all of our MyCap parts with next business day delivery, this is what we're going to generate? Kind of. What, you know, what I said is this is the difference between levels of service. So if they were all sent with two-day or they were all sent with one-day, it's the equivalent of, I think it was 19 uh, F-16s, um, you know, for like $500,000 in shipping. And uh 12 or something like that kc-135s for a significant significantly reduced um sum from the from the uh from the f-16 um and realistically when i when i aggregated that across all services you know from what the simulation said and remember we're differentiating between two levels of service here like we were buying ukraine's air force for a million dollars in additional shipping charges Right? You can't buy an aircraft for that. So the messaging is really important in that. It's like we're not automatically going to achieve all of that stuff because, you know, some MICAPs are already already going with this level of service. And and that was a, a good, quick, back, you know, retort to people that had heard MICAP Prime. And General Hurry asked that question too. And I said, very specifically, ma'am, I said, I don't even induct into the mathematical model, into the simulation model, all of the MICAPs. We're only inducting like 50%. So can you imagine what 100% looks like, right? Which, which is the next step that we took with MICAP Prime. We modified the math a little bit to include, to show, well, to model um, the processing component. Because not every MICAP is going to be able to go commercial air. Some are 152 pounds, so they have to go by ground, you know, by by what the contract says. Or some are outside, so they have to go by ground. Um, okay, well, what does every single MICAP have in common? It has to be processed, right? So if we're slow on our processing, we're not getting the benefit out of expedited shipping, right? And that's when it, you know, it really started to take on the on a, on a different tone, on a different tenor of, of the program, um, because we were including more, we were looking at more in, um, you know, as, a, as underneath the umbrella of MyCap Prime. Because once again, the transporter guys, like, and, and, and gals that, that do that work, they were ready to plant a flag. We do this a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, if, if, it, if what's true in industry, nobody cares about the 90% that you do it right or the 99% and they only care about the, the 1% that we didn't, we, we even have room 
from the transportation side to you know to create speed so you asked um a long answer and i do apologize but you asked when did i brief general hurry when did she first hear about it it was on a on a blue line metro train from roslyn to the pentagon and uh i said hey here's my idea here's the data and here's the simulation i've been working on this you know for a couple of years and i would like to you know, I would like to do a proof of principle, a proof of principle test to, you know, to test this stuff out. And I, what I find in, uh, impactful about that is you spent years working on this. You've put blood, sweat, and tears, weekends, long hours, a lot of, you know, thought and passion into developing uh, this idea. You sought mentorship. You verified all of your work with experts in, in the field, uh, PhDs, you name it, uh, and then retired you know, sen- and senior leaders, right? And you had that window of opportunity and you were prepared. You created your own luck, right? By being prepared for that situation. Uh, I, I might have walked a little bit faster to catch up to to Garrett in general hurry <laughs> to, to, seize, to seize the opportunity. Yeah, but I but, was... I could speak it. Oh, 100%. And, um, ha- and I think what, uh, not just I think, I know what, what Tesseract is, is that we are, we are trying to get Chip Litchfields on the blue line to hear their voice, right, and to, and to hear what they have to say about, um, you know, about those game-changing ideas. The, the, the next, like, what, you know, what's the next MyCap Prime, right? And... Um, I think there's a lot that airmen uh, of all, uh, you know, tenure, all, 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 all ranks, age, that they can learn from from that particular story is um, when, when you in, invest uh, time and and passion and um, and long hours, it, it's not it it's not all for naught, right? You know, it, you can it can pay off, and um, and people are willing to listen, right? At- yeah, that's what I appreciate about Tesseract. So I had tried to give my cap prime to Tesseract before Tesseract was Tesseract before, <laughs> which is um, because I believed in my two friends. I, I believed in what they were trying to do, and I knew before they had even given a presentation that it was going to resonate with the field. And I saw my cap prime, whether this is hubris or not, or just being completely right or completely wrong. I believed in MyCap Prime and I thought it was what could be a a win for them to, you know, to get out there and be like, look it, we already found an airman and uh we're going to we're going to execute his idea and because that's what we're trying we're trying to do, we're trying to ideate um and and have a methodology, um, you know, for ideation, mm. if you will, which is you know seriously resonated with me because it's not like the the leaders that i encountered within the scout didn't uh believe in this that's that's not the truth at all they you know, a lot of big eyes and but you know day-to-day operations and wow korea is really busy right now and we got to take care of korea and hey what you know we got to get parts to over here and this is important and um sometimes good ideas just take a backseat to what we have to do right now mm-hmm. right I, I mean i would love to see and and ideate with you and, and test this stuff out, but uh, we got to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have a test track 
come online, whose job it is, who is a set-aside entity, whose job it is to ideate, that's, you know, a powerful, in, in your humble correspondence opinion, that's a, that's a really powerful uh, opportunity right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you have a, when, whenever you share that, that idea that you've invested that time in and then, and then a senior leader, like I think I heard um, General Hurry say, we should have been doing this 10 years ago, right? And that's validating, you know, to you as, as an airman understanding, okay, like I'm on, I'm on the same page or I'm, I'm on the right track. And um, being able to um, communicate, articulate and simplify an idea to, to the stand, you know, to the point where, um, there's now a sense of urgency behind what we need to accomplish um, to generate air power. Because when I hear my cat prime, I, I hear air power. I appreciate that. That means the, the name is, is working. But I think our senior leaders in the Air Force have set the narrative and set the environment where the individual airman knows that, I mean, times are changing. And fast uh, that, very fast and our adversaries are very very capable um and we don't have time to delay anymore we have to squeeze every ounce of of readiness out of our stuff and every ounce of preparedness out of our people that we can because the fight tonight scenario is real so not only is the fight tonight scenario real the fate of complete scenario that our adversary our adversaries are holding onto is is also real. And if 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 we don't appreciate the fight tonight, fate of complete scenario, it could very well be that we just we missed the war because we were getting prepared for the you know prepared for the fight mm-hmm. versus being ready to fight. Um, if it wasn't real, we wouldn't have um, resources and uh, personnel hanging out in uh, hot spots in the world, you know, like there, there wouldn't be a, or there wouldn't be a, a carrier strike force hanging out off um, the, in the Mediterranean if there wasn't something real, real, or there, there wasn't a, a, at least at a minimum of perceived threat. Yeah. Or, you know, strategically placing bombers uh, around the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, to Secretary Mattis's, former Secretary Mattis's point to be, um, uh, what, did, what did he say he was the United States needs to be um, strategically predictable and operationally unpredictable mm-hmm. that's to be operationally unpredictable means that we have have to be ready to go at a moment's notice um, which I think is a you know a phenomenal concept which is which is why you tried to create speed so one of the biggest compliments I got I received while I was working on MyCat Prime and trying to brief MyCat Prime and sell MyCat Prime and, and build federated advocacy for MyCat Prime is um, a well-placed individual said, I didn't realize that there was so much math and science behind MyCaps. Um, and, and, you know, it, it comes down to a chicken or an egg type scenario is, does the math come first or does the MICAP come first, right? Um, but realistically, we can't, if we just treat these as a box, then we don't get the value out of it, right? You know, the, the transportation airman just sees a box and doesn't see the fixed jet at the end of that, or the, the, the supply airman that just sources the MICAP but doesn't see the, the, 
the mission that the that that MICAP is going to fill a hole on a jet and then that jet is going to go um, execute that mission. I, and I took that compliment as, as really big because whether or not I know I'm not the first one that has put math behind MICAP. I don't know why uh, fortune, you know, luck, good timing, whatever you want, the right backing, um, uh, a face for radio, whatever it is that put my cat prime in a way that um, you know could be consumed right now versus all the good research on my caps that has that has happened hitherto um, I don't know why but the math to me showed and to other people showed that it's it's not just a box yes it is a box but it's not just a box it's a it's a fixed jet it's a not missed t-ball game it's a it's one more sortie you know whatever that is um, as you were thinking through all of this, um, thinking through MyCap Prime, the concept, um, the math, at what point did it become real? At what point did it become personal? And at what point did you see this through the lens of, you know, how it can impact um, your, you know, the airmen that you work with on a daily basis? Yeah. Um, so I heard... I engaged as a scout. Cut all this stuff out as I as I get to this answer. Um, so, as an operations officer in this in the supply chain operations wing in the supply chain operations squadron, you saw, I saw, airmen just grinding to satisfy my caps. And the nearest that I could tell was that a MICAPper made three phone calls for every phone call that was answered. Like, so I'm making, I'm making a phone call. So that ratio was there. And then it was probably closer to five or six to one phone calls made to substantive information that I could use to go back to a customer and say, this is the status. This is where this back order is. This is the tracking number. Um, X, Y, and Z. So like five or six phone calls. I mean, those, those my cappers live with the phone next to their ear, trying to expedite and move and get status and, and process. Um, and I, and I know that that is often not appreciated out there. And, and, uh, you know, so I, I appreciated that work, but then what they were doing was trying to give information to customers like what is the status how long is this thing going to be back ordered? what's the update on the contract um, fedex says it's here but it's not here can you help me can you help me find this thing now you learn those lessons really quick and you see that those actions really quick when you're in the in the supply chain operations squadron but when you started doing math to try to what at the time I didn't really know what I was trying to do. I was just really trying to compare stuff that I could compare. Why does one take five days and one take two days? How do we ship? What's the cost? What's the standard? Um, who's in charge? Who makes a decision? Like, all that stuff was going on in the background, and then you're watching your troops out there satisfying the MICAPs and working hard and constantly engaging their customers. And, and you walk away with the fact that the customers just want they just want one thing. Customers would always call in and ask. They would put it in their in their in their MyCat bullet in the supply system, and they would say, "Hey, we request 
overnight shipping. We request fastest processing. If it was on a Thursday, please laterally support this versus going to a source of supply because we really need it. We, you know, we want to, we're, we're planning to get this thing fixed over the weekend so we can fly it next week. All of those things that if you aggregate them would comprise some unique level of service for, you know, for my caps. Um, and realistically, once it materialized, I, I realized that, okay, we're just trying to drive towards a uniform level of service here. So they don't have to ask for it anymore. It's just, this is how we do business. It's not a thing. It's you ordered a one alpha MICAP grounding a F-15 someplace. This is the level of service that you can, that you can come to expect. Um, and I, and I learned that really on the backs of the hard work that the MICAPers were doing, trying to answer what were just logical questions. What's my tracking number? When is this thing going to get here? I have to brief at 1500. I, you know, so uh, to, to my leadership change, uh, leadership, leadership change credit, um, not so much as a function of MICAP prime, just as a function of weapon system support. They they did a pivot to be more customer oriented. Stop talking about the ninety percent. Start talking about the ten percent, the ten percent that failed because that's what customers care about. Um, you know, to to change the narrative, not hero work, not something that you have to ask for. We have this capability to us. Let's leverage this capability, and let's establish a standard level of service. So, that was really kind of the why behind my cap prime and you know because we had information and data available to us to to try to derive and see see what we could so i was doing math while i was watching my troops you know labor real that that's the why good stuff yeah well thanks well thank you appreciate that that was uh was a lot of fun that was awesome that was phenomenal great can't wait to do it again go pokes yeah (laughs) (laughs) boomer sooner Thank you again for listening to Tesseract Podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and connect with us on LinkedIn. Any references to trademarked, copyrighted, or protected products or services such as books, movies, or businesses are used here for the limited purpose of education and professional development of Air Force Airmen. If you have any questions, please contact us at www.tesseractaf.com.